I was opening up my browser here to find a scripture, and the news headlines came up for some reason. And it, I was just amazed at the contrast, with the joy that we have in the Lord versus the news and the things that are going on. There's not a lot of joy in the, in the world, but what a treasure it is that we get to have joy in Jesus. And I believe that uh, as we talk about Jesus this morning, because that is our topic, uh, last week, Clint uh, did an excellent word on God our Father. And uh, what a beautiful word that was, and such an encouragement to our hearts to know that we have a Father that's encouraging us, that's shouting over us, that's for us, that picks us up when we're down. And uh, this morning we're going to be speaking about God the Son, and how God reveals Himself through His Son. And I'm very expectant. It's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to meditate on, how God reveals Himself through Jesus. And then next week we're going to be doing God the Holy Spirit, and we'll have covered the whole Trinity which is very cool. But I think the reason why it is cool is because there's something really beautiful about meditating on the nature of God, who He has revealed Himself to be. Uh, Christianity can be a lot of things, but we can very subtly and very quickly become wrapped up in what's going on in my life, what I'm struggling with. And while those things are very true and very real, it actually doesn't help to meditate too long on those things because our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in God. And I'm trusting that as we get a revelation of Jesus this morning, our hearts will fall with, with joy and faith that He's a God who saves. Amen? I think I'll just start by saying God has made us to be worshippers. There's something very natural and instinctive and very right. By the way, before I move on, I just remembered as I see him now, it's Andrew's birthday this morning. True? Happy birthday, Andrew. Grateful to be able to celebrate with you here this morning. We love you, bud. Great to have you in our family. What was I saying? God the Son. And uh, we, by nature, are worshippers. We're either worshipping rugby or worshipping women or we're worshipping something that's created and temporary or we're worshipping something or someone that is eternal. But whatever happens, we will be worshipping something. Which is why it's good to have a revelation of Jesus. Because there's something instinctive and right and good and really um, nourishing for our souls when we're worshipping God. Not only in spirit, but also in truth. God wants us to worship Him for who He really is, not just who we'd like Him to be. And the longer I follow Christ, the easier I realize it is to worship the Christ, Jesus the kind of Jesus I make up in my mind because that's who I would like him to be, whether or not he actually is like that. And I feel like this morning as we look at Jesus, he's going to realign our hearts with the truth and worship will flow so naturally from our hearts because we worship him for who he really is in spirit and in truth. So I want to just begin by saying that Jesus is God the Son. And, and it's interesting that the name itself reveals a little bit about the nature of Jesus. He is God's Son. And He has always been God's Son. Uh, In case you didn't know, He wasn't just God's Son when He was born on earth. That was when He became human. He took on flesh. God came to earth, took on flesh. But He was God's Son long before He came to earth. From eternity past, He has always been God's Son. And they have a beautiful relationship. God the Father and God the Son. And you get these little sneak uh, snippets of their relationship. One very profound moment, which must have been 
quite an eye-opening moment for the disciples. Uh, I think it was when Jesus got baptized. They actually heard an audible voice from heaven. Imagine going to a baptism. And it's a day just like every other day. Next minute, you hear the audible voice of God the Father saying this. He says, this is my son, my love. With him I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful? This is my son. Some people thought it was thunder, which gives you some indication of what the voice must have sounded like. But imagine God the Father, who from all eternity has loved his son, getting an opportunity to make known to the rest of the people here on earth. By the way, this right here, this is my son, and I love him. And not only is he God's son, but in John 3.16, it speaks about um, God's one and only son. It's a very interesting word. It, it means a couple of different things. One of the things it means is my one of a kind, one of a kind son. Yes, we're all sons and daughters, but not quite like Jesus. Jesus is God's one of a kind son. He's a very special son to God the Father. And God loves his son. One of the most beautiful poetic phrases that I have ever heard about Jesus is that he is the, he is the darling of heaven. He's the darling of heaven. People love Jesus in heaven. The reason why they love Jesus in heaven is because God the Father loves his boy. Jesus is his son. And that has always been the case. And I want to just read a, a verse in Hebrews chapter 1, which is an incredibly profound Passage. You could spend a whole morning just on this passage. Uh, but it's a passage about Jesus. And it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. Many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Whom He has appointed heir of all things. And through Him, He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. By the way, this is Jesus. Eh? Jesus. Sustaining all things by his powerful work. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There's a couple of very significant things from this passage. Number one, I'd just like to start with a word to the agnostics. Not sure if we have any amongst us this morning. But one of the, well, to be, to be an agnostic basically means that, you know, you think it's very likely that God exists, but it's impossible to know for sure anything about God, because he's invisible. And they will be cynical of anyone who says otherwise. Here's the reason why we can be very certain about the God who we worship, because he sent his son. He sent his son, and his son represents the nature of God perfectly. And it's beautiful because it says that God has sent many prophets over the thousands of years that humans have been on the earth. God has spoken through prophets, through signs and wonders. But if that wasn't good enough for you, in these days, He has sent us His Son. That's as good as it gets. Are we at Revelation? You want to know what God's like? When He sends His Son, you've got to know that's as good as it gets. You don't get a better representation of who God is and what He's like. 
And Jesus came to show us the way to the Father. And Jesus, um, the first time he came, he came like a prophet. But he came with a prophet with authority because he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a man called by God. He was a, a man, well, he was first God who had become a man that had been with God for all of eternity and decided to take on flesh and come to earth and tell us what God is like. When that happens, you've got to sit up and take notes. Start taking notes. Like, okay, this is, this is very significant. God, the Son, has made himself known to us by taking on flesh. The beautiful, one of our favorite names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isn't that beautiful? God with us. There's a lot of things to love about Jesus, eh? <laughs> There's a lot of God with us. Isn't that a beautiful poetic phrase? God with us. He came and made himself one of us. And that's going to be the case when he comes again. We'll have God with us. The significance of this, and I want to emphasize this fact, that there's an incredible significance to the fact that God gave us his one and only son. Because it's important to know how precious Jesus is to the Father. So that when we read John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son. You've got to understand, that was God's best gift he could ever give. God didn't have anything more precious to give us than his son. Nothing. And that's true even in earthly sense. If I had to entrust my daughter to you, you've got to understand I don't have anything more precious than that. That's as, that's as precious as it is to me. And if God gave us His Son because He loved us, because not only did He love us, but He loves us, and He gives us His Son, that is the most precious gift you could ever be given. God gives us a lot of good gifts, even in, earthly, in, an, earthly, in an earthly sense. We have many good things that God gives us, but we must never forget the most precious thing we've ever been given is His Son. Amen? If you ever doubt God's love for you, read John 3, 16. He gave you His Son. And when we worship, one of the things that evokes worship in our heart is, God, thank you for giving us your Son. And then you can sing, Jesus, thank you for giving us yourself. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. I willingly lay it down. Jesus gave himself. The Father gave us his son, but the son said, I'll go. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So God, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is also God's king. This is one of my favorite things about Jesus, so I'm going to try and not make my whole sermon about this, because I could very easily do that. I love the fact that Jesus is going to be our king. Partly because I'm just so sick and tired of bad government. And and whenever I despair reading the news, I remind myself, just endure it, because one day we're going to have the most incredible government a person could ever hope or dream of. And he's going to make everything good again. Jesus is God's king. Not only is he our king, he is the king whom God has appointed to rule the earth. He is God's son and he has been given a kingdom. And I want to just read in Revelation chapter 19 uh, verse 11 to 16 
I love these little snapshots of heaven. You get a little glimpse into what is going on in heaven. And it helps us to recalibrate about what we should probably be doing here on earth. <laughs> and it says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's a lot to unpack here. But one thing I'll just mention is when Jesus first came, he came as a prophet to show us the way to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you come to the Father through me. He came with a prophetic function to point us back to the God who we had lost. Not because he got lost, but we had lost our way back to him. And Jesus came to point us back to the Father. He is still pointing us back to the Father. But when he comes the second time, he's not coming to fulfill a prophetic role. He's coming as king. He's coming to rule. He's been given a kingdom. He's going to rule in that kingdom. And that is a, a re, it's going to be a really curious day. The reason why I say that is there's, there's going to be very mixed reactions when King Jesus rolls into town on his horse. Because there are going to be those who have rejected his rule and his reign. And in their hearts said, I don't want Jesus to be my king, thank you very much. I, I'm going to be my own king. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to be my own lord. I'm going to be the lord of my own life. And I don't want Jesus telling me what to do. And for those who have rejected the rule and reign of Christ, it's going to be a terrifying day because Jesus will be made king whether we vote for him to be president or not. God's kingdom is not a democracy. Jesus is chosen by God. He is God's king. God chooses who he wants to rule in his kingdom. And he is going to come back as king. And it's going to be a terrifying day for those who are the enemies of God. But for us who have already made Jesus king in our heart, it's going to be the best day of our lives. It's going to be a day of rejoicing and celebrating. It's going to be, a, I think there's going to be this huge at last. The king who we have longed for. The king who we have prayed for. The king who we have waited for has finally come back. And there, I can't even imagine the joy. I mean, I for one will be, I'll, I'll be doing cartwheels. I don't know how you celebrate that sort of thing to do the occasion justice. Maybe partners won't even do it. Hopefully I'll have a renewed body because sometimes I pull muscles and I, I dislocate knees and things like that. But I'm hoping that as he returns, I'll get my renewed body so that I can celebrate the moment appropriately. Amen? One of the prayers that the church has always prayed, it's one of the shortest prayers in the Christian prayer book, is Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We are longing for that day. We are praying for that day. We are waiting for that day. Lord, speed the day when Jesus returns to be king. 
And He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. What that means is that there are a lot of governing authorities on the earth. We don't call them kings anymore. We call them presidents. So there's lots of very powerful people who rule over powerful bodies and entities. And there have always been very powerful people on the earth. But the Bible says that God raises kings and He demotes kings. Kings come and go. Presidents come and go. Powerful people come and go. But Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He lords. He is the Lord over every authority. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God has given him a unique role of authority. And so every knee will bow before him. No matter how rich or poor or powerful or not, will bow before the name of Jesus. And so that is why we worship Jesus. That is another reason. I've given you two reasons now. Because he's the greatest gift we've ever received. And he's God's king. He's, a, he's our king. And he is a very unique king because he is humble and he's gentle and he's kind. And he's not a self-serving, power-trippy king. He's the kind of king that left heaven and earth, took on flesh and died on the cross for you and me. I don't know a lot of kings that have done that for their servants. Do you? I can't think of one. Not even close. No king has ever done that in the history of humankind. And that's because Jesus has got a beautiful nature. He's kind. He's loving. Now you might say, well that's interesting that you should say that because it sounds like when he comes back, he's coming back to kill people. And that's why you have to be careful with Jesus. Because he's kind and he's gracious and he's loving and he's merciful. But he is God's king. And there is a season to be made right with the Lord. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time to repent of your sins and receive the forgiveness and the grace of God. He's given us an opportunity to be brought into right relationship with God. But when Jesus comes back, it's too late. I'm going to talk about that when I talk about Jesus as the Lamb. He's our sacrifice. He's paid for our sins. But there's an appropriation of that that we need to do in order to be made right with God. Amen? Jesus is also our bridegroom. <laughs> He's our bridegroom. In case you don't know, we're not yet married. We are betrothed to be married. And when Jesus returns, he talks about the marriage feast of the Lamb. We will be at a wedding when we get to heaven. I want to just explain that. In John chapter 14, Jesus uses wedding language. John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. If you're having a bad day, I encourage you to meditate on this verse. It makes you happy almost instantly. In my Father's house, Jesus says, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. We can miss that as wedding language, because we don't usually talk like that when we talk about weddings. But in that culture, the bridegroom, before they got married, would go and prepare a place for their new bride in their dad's house. They add on. Stand I'm sure, I'm sure I would want to do that. Sounds a little bit too close to my mother-in-law and, and, and other complicated factors. But in the culture of the day, that is how they would do it. And so Jesus has gone home to prepare a place for us in, our, in, our, in His Father's house for His bride. That's for you and for me. And there's a curious thing that's going on right now. Jesus is preparing a home and God is preparing a bride. <laughs> He's preparing 
He's preparing us to be a pure and spotless bride for His Son. We have been committed in an arranged marriage. God the Father has chosen us to be the bride for His Son, Jesus. We don't do arranged marriages anymore, but that's how they used to do it, and that's how God's intending to do it. He has chosen for Himself a bride. And right now He's preparing us by the Holy Spirit to be a pure and spotless bride that's ready for Jesus. So Jesus is preparing a home and God the Father is preparing a bride that's going to be suitable for His Son. And let's be honest, when we first get saved, He's got quite a lot of work to do. Thank you, Lord, that He's got us on a process of sanctification. He's making us holy. We certainly don't start out that way. And the Bible says, when we see Him, we will be made perfect. God will complete the process that He started in us. And we will be pure and holy ready for His Son. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament which really helps to illustrate the relationship between a bride and a husband who just also happens to be a king. That's an interesting relationship because there's intimacy there between a husband and a wife. But he's also the king. And the story is that Esther gets prepared for her groom and it takes a really long time to get her ready for her room. Does anyone know how, many times, how long it takes? It's like a couple of years. I'm not sure what kind of products they were using in those days. <laughs> I mean, I don't do a lot of that myself, but that sounds like a long time to read. Like if your makeup artist takes two years to prepare you for a wedding, that's a good person to comment on this. But that's excessively long time. But it, it does suit the picture really well because Jesus... He's waiting for us, and he's incredibly eager, by the way, for us to get to heaven so that he can marry his bride. He's incredibly eager, and God is busy preparing us and beautifying us for that day. And she gets married to the king, and there's this situation that arises that her people, the Jewish people, are in an incredible danger, and she herself is Jewish. And so she finds herself in a unique situation where she's found favor with the king, she's married to the king, and people are now petitioning her, hey, can you please go and speak to the king and, make, and raise awareness of our, our situation? We could all be killed. And she said, well, I'd love to do that, but I can't just walk into the king's presence and say, hey, I've got a few things I'd like to discuss with you. He's the king. He could kill me. She says that, he could kill me. And you think, wow, how's that possible? It's his wife. But just because she's his wife doesn't mean she can uh, walk into his presence without reverence. He has to invite her into his presence. She has to come the appropriate way. And she, she, she realizes that God's put her in this position for a reason, and so she takes a chance. She literally takes her life in her own hands and says, you know, even if it kills me, it's so important, I just have to do this. So she does. She comes into his court and she comes before the king, and he has favor on her because he loves her. And he, he allows her to come in and make her request. In fact, he does, he does a lot more than that. He says, I would love to help you. Whatever it is, just tell me, and I'll do everything that I can to help you. And so she raises this issue with her people, and the king finds favor, and he actually does rescue her people. But the reason why I share this story is because we are exactly the same situation. We have Jesus, who is our lover. He is our guru. We are intimate with him. We are betrothed to him. There's intimacy, and he's our king. And so there's reverence, and there's this holiness. And you see people in the scriptures beholding King Jesus, even John, who's one of his best friends on earth, and he falls on the floor as if he's dead. 
is in so much fear and trembling, and you think, well, how can they both be possible at the same time? It is possible. Not only is it possible, it's true. He's our lover, he's our bridegroom, and he is our king. But I want to just remind you that this love that we have for King Jesus is definitely not one directional. He started it. And I've been just meditating on the songs that are written in Scripture. And the Song of Songs is written between two people who are in love. And if you read the book, you think, I'm sure this should be in the Bible. (laughs) Because it's like, well, what does two people in love with each other have to do with anything to do with the kingdom? It's so random. They actually used to read that book at wedding ceremonies. Did you know that? Maybe I'll do that the next time I'm not sharing. So be careful which ones you read those. Sometimes you might even read the whole chapter. Just like, you can just skip that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go and read it after. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's this beautiful passage. And as I read it, I read, I, I, as I read this, I, I was reminded of something beautiful and I would like God to remind you of something beautiful. In Song of Psalms chapter 4 verse 9, it says, this is the bridegroom speaking to his, his bride. He says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. The reason why this book is in the Bible, because it's a picture of Jesus' love for us. Jesus' love for us. He loves us. He delights in us. We bring joy to His heart. Isn't that beautiful? When we worship Him, it's not just like going through the religious motions. He loves it. And, and this gives you such a beautiful picture of like how Jesus delights over us. He loves us, man. And it says in Scripture that it was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross. Now, if you just have to meditate for two minutes on what that phrase, endured the cross, means. He endured the cross. That was a slow, painful death. And for the joy set before Him. He wasn't thinking of heaven. He was thinking of us. He was thinking about His bride. He was laying His life down because He loves us, because He wants us to be in relationship with Him, because He delights in us. Isn't that beautiful? And so we are the joy that was set before Him. And so Jesus is the Lord of our lives, but He is also the love of our life. He is the greatest love of our life. It's a life-defining love. And I want to say this to a generation that often finds its identity and its worth and its validation and all kinds of silly things. We find ours in the love of Christ. His love for us secures us. It validates us. It gives us a sense of security. But I'm loved by Jesus. He has not only loved me, but He has chosen me. He wants me to be in His family. He wants to be in relationship with me. And if everyone else rejects me, the King of Heaven, the Darling of Heaven, God's Son, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has chosen me. He's chosen to set His affection on you and to, and to call you into relationship with Him. Amen? And the last thing I'll close with is that He's the Lamb. He had a very dramatic introduction to the world by John the Baptist. He says, Behold! <laughs> I should do that when I start my sermon. 
Spartinative. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, that, that needs a dramatic introduction. That is a significant event. The Lamb, the one and only Lamb, God's Savior, God's way of making you right, of forgiving your sins, of washing you clean. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, that sounds very odd in our context because we don't really do a lot of sacrifices. You might even get arrested if you try one in your backyard. Especially if the neighbors report you doing a sacrifice, killing an animal. I mean, it's, just, it's going to be a bit weird. But we have to understand that sacrifice was necessary for the redemption, for the atonement, for the washing away of our sins. We have to understand it. Even if it seems like a foreign concept, we need to get our heads in that game because it's, 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 it's the difference between life in heaven and life in hell. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, the sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament, they used to have the sacrificial system and a lot of animals were killed in the sacrificial system for the atonement or the washing away of sins. It says those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to, to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. That's right? With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. There's this picture in the Old Testament which really helps me, maybe it will help you, of this whole idea of, 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 of atonement and sacrifices. It all feels a little bit abstract. But in the Old Testament, there's this picture of God's people who were enslaved in Egypt, and they were being oppressed, they were being downtrodden, they were being badly treated, and they were crying out to God for salvation. In their case, it wasn't like spiritual salvation. They like wanted to be rescued from people who were oppressing them. And... Uh, God began to judge Egypt. He began to judge their slave masters. And all these judgments came upon that nation in various forms. Sickness and plagues and all sorts of things. But one of the final judgments was God was going to kill the firstborn of every family of their slave owners as a form of judgment because they were not releasing God's people. God had revealed himself but they refused to let go. They were fighting against God. And this was the most severe form of judgment. And God promised that this is what I'm going to do. He actually warned the nation. This is what I'm going to do tonight. And then he said to the Israelites, here's how you can be spared from this judgment. You need to sacrifice a lamb. And you need to take the blood and paint it on your doorposts. And when the angel of death comes around tonight, which he will do, he'll pass over your house and he'll spare you from the judgment of God. And so it wasn't just the Israelites that did that. Some of the Egyptians who are now starting to catch on to what was going on here, they did the same thing. And God passed over his judgment and he preserved the lives of all those who were in the homes which were covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now I'm saying this, and it's a long way of saying it, because you'll hear this phrase a lot. If you haven't heard it already, the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood. 
The blood of Jesus washes us. And those are kind of weird things to say if you've not had somebody explain to you how is it exactly that the blood of Jesus saves me. This is how it saves me. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. But that does not mean that everyone who lives in this world is going to be saved. It is only those who appropriate that blood of the Lamb, who paint it on their doorposts, that are saved. And how do we do that? By putting our faith in Jesus. What does that mean? It means, I believe, God, you sent your Son to die as a sacrifice for my sins, so that I could be spared the judgment of God, because the judgment of God was perfectly poured out on His Son, Jesus. And it's to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. Not only are you the Savior of the whole world, you're my Savior. I trust in you. I don't trust in my good works. I don't trust that I'm going to merit my way and earn my way to heaven. I trust that God's Lamb, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, is a sufficient sacrifice for me. Does that make sense? And it's as you put your trust in Jesus that God's judgment passes over you. And Jesus, He Himself said about Himself, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. There's no other way to be made right with God except through Jesus. It was His one-of-a-kind Son. It was the only Lamb. It says in the, in the Scriptures, we just read it now, sacrificing any amount of animals isn't going to atone for your sins. It's only Jesus that can atone for our sins. Why could it only be Jesus? It had to be a man who was fully man, and it had to be a man who was fully God at the same time. Why is that? It had to be a human, because it's humans that are moral beings, not goats and bulls. You say that this is a good dog, he's a good dog, he's, he's not a good dog. He doesn't actually know how to choose right from wrong. I'm not holding anything against your dog. I'm sure he's a lovely dog. But what we mean when we say good dog is not the same as what we mean when we say he's a good man. We are moral beings. We have a conscience. We do right and we do wrong. And we sin against God and we sin against our conscience. We needed a man to live a perfect life and a life that is fully 100% obedient to God who could take our penalty, who could say, God, I'm innocent. I don't deserve to die, but I willingly choose to take the penalty, the death penalty that each person deserves because they've sinned against you. I will take, I will be a substitute. I will take their punishment. I will pay the price of their sin. There needed to be a person that does that. The only problem is there's never been a person in the history of humankind that could stand before God and say that because every single person the Bible says has sinned has fallen short of God's standard. It had to be a person. And secondly, it had to be God because there's no single person that's ever been morally perfect. So you have to be fully God and fully man. And so Jesus is the only sacrifice. He's the only person that could ever actually offer themselves up to be a sacrifice for our sins. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. So this morning, we have a lot to worship God about. We have so much to thank Him for. I'm thinking of that song, which I've loved ever since I heard it for the first time. I've got a reason to praise. We have lots of reasons. To praise God this morning. We have lots of reasons to worship God. We have a lot of reasons to worship Jesus. 
I'll just remind you of them as we close. We have a worship reason to worship Jesus because He's God's Son. He's God's one of a kind Son. He's the most precious gift we've ever been given. And He willingly gave Himself for us. We have a King, not just any King. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And not only is He a King, He's a good King, a humble King, a gracious King, a kind King, a King who died on the cross for our sins. We have a bridegroom who's chosen us, who loves us. He's loved us more than Himself. We have a lamb, a lamb that was slain, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So we need and down on the cross for you. Let's close out now. Jesus, we have a lot of reasons to love you this morning. Our hearts, Lord, are just full of joy as we meditate. lover of our souls, the one who's loved us more than anyone ever could. And Lord Jesus, we want to say this morning, we are so eager for your return. We look forward to, we hasten, we pray for the day, we long for the day when you will come to take us home, to be in that place which you have prepared for us. Lord, you are our life. You bring so much joy to our hearts when we think about what you've done, when we think about who you are, you can't help but worship. And how worthy you are, Jesus, of all honor and glory and wisdom and praise. Lord, we want to sing with the angels this morning. It's no wonder you're called the darling of heaven. It's no wonder the angels love you. It's no wonder they can't stop singing, holy, holy, holy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive all glory and honor and praise. I want to just encourage you this morning. What does it for Peter say? I believe there might be one or two people here that actually need to make right with Jesus, to make right with God. And I want to just say to you, there's no other way to be reconciled with God than through His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus, to be your Savior. Maybe to earn your way into God's goodness by being a good person. I want to say the way to be saved. You can't save yourself. You need to stop trusting in yourself for your salvation. You need to trust in Jesus. Allow Him to clean you, to wash you, to make you new. The way into the kingdom is a humble road. It's saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your son. Thank you for your son. The proud don't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the humble who will recognize their need for a savior. If that's you this morning and you recognize it, even as I've been preaching the gospel, you recognize I need a Savior, I need Jesus, I need Him to wash my sins away. I need Him to get in front of us. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to just get one or two people around you to pray with you. Don't take for granted God's gift of salvation. It is a gift, but you have to receive it by faith. It doesn't happen automatically. If that's you this morning, whether you've maybe walked with God before and you've lost your way, or maybe you've never walked with God and you need to actually be born again, you need to be washed and forgiven. I would love to pray with you. Don't you want to just slip up your hand, not to embarrass you, just slip up your hand wherever you're sitting so that I can pray with you so that we can start you on a journey. Salvation is a journey. Wonderful, wonderful. I see your hand. Oh, that's wonderful. Salvation is a journey. 
but you need to walk through the gate. And the gate is Jesus. Amen? If there's anyone else, is anyone else that would like to pray, make right with God through Jesus? Wonderful. Wonderful. I see your hand. That's so, so encouraging. What a joy. What a joy. I kind of wouldn't pray with you. out loud. If you do that, let's just pray with these people who are responding. What a joy. The Bible says when one sinner responds to the gospel, the whole of heaven rejoices. So we rejoice with you this morning. We rejoice with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. God saves. What a beautiful name. Jesus. God saves. Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us yourself. Thank you for willingly going to the cross. Thank you for taking my sins upon yourself. Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? Would you wash me clean? Would you make me new? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you adopt me into your family? Would you lead me by your Holy Spirit? Would you keep me until that day when you come to take me home? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.